0: Pediatric and adolescent stroke differ from adult stroke in frequency, presentation, management, and prognosis. What causes childhood stroke? How can we diagnose and treat the condition? And how do our young stroke patients fare as they get older? You're listening to REACHMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. E. Steve Roach, Professor of Pediatrics and Neurology at the Ohio State University College of Medicine and Chief of Neurology at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Welcome, Dr. Roach. Dr. Roach, you're the lead author of a new American Heart Association scientific statement on managing stroke in infants and children. How does childhood stroke differ from adult stroke? Probably
1: the biggest difference that comes to mind is in the underlying causes That lead to the stroke to begin with. We almost never see atherosclerosis in children as a cause of stroke. We don't see atrial fibrillation very often as a cause of stroke. Those are arguably the two most common underlying factors for ischemic stroke in adults. Children tend to have sickle cell disease, uh, congenital heart disease, uh, other things altogether. That's probably the biggest single difference.
0: Now, the World Health Organization defines stroke as a clinical syndrome of rapidly developing focal or global disturbance of brain function lasting longer than 24 hours or leading to death with no obvious non-vascular cause. Now, would that be the same for children as well?
1: Pretty much. Children's brain has to have blood supply as well, and the definition's about the same. Sometimes it's a little harder in children to know exactly what you're dealing with in terms of the length of the symptoms and things of that sort. But the main difference there is just in the way we apply the definition or or the way we struggle to know what the parameters are. But, But the definition is going to be about the same.
0: How common is childhood stroke in the U.S.?
1: The number keeps shifting about a little bit. Part of the problem is in years past, people have failed to recognize it and therefore it doesn't get recorded and the numbers tend to be inappropriately low. We would estimate just in rough terms that all forms of childhood stroke, including children, neonates, hemorrhagic stroke, ischemic stroke, so on, would be approximately twice the rate of brain tumor.
0: Okay, and one statistic I saw is that it's about two to three children per 100,000 per year. Does that sound about right?
1: That's a relatively older number, but yes, that's in the literature. There's other numbers where probably more children were included that actually would suggest a rate of about two or three times that, actually. But that two to three is an older number. I mean, it's there. And as as I say, it's a little bit of a hard number to get your hands around.
0: So physicians still need to be on the lookout for it, for sure. Oh, sure. Now, who tends to get childhood stroke? Are there certain groups that are at higher risk?
1: Yes, the risk tends to parallel the risk factors. And so children with sickle cell anemia have an extraordinarily high rate. I've seen estimates that over the course of a lifetime, with a predilection toward earlier years that as many as 20-25% of the children with sickle cell anemia would have a stroke. Children with congenital heart disease, particularly the cyanotic forms, have a very high risk of stroke, although that's reduced considerably if, if the heart lesion can be fixed. And then children with congenital anomalies of the blood vessels, arteriovenous malformations, things of that sort, have a very high risk of hemorrhagic stroke. So basically, the people who are at greatest risk are the people who have the the major risk factors.
0: Now, is it more common in boys or girls? And what about younger versus older children?
1: For the most part, it's not any more common in boys than girls. I mean, certainly nothing that's striking. It's more common in, in younger children, and in as much as ischemic stroke is so much more common in neonates than it is in older kids, once you get out of the neonatal period it's probably not that much different, say, between a 6-year-old and a
0: 12-year-old. Does family history of stroke play any role?
1: In some instances, but generally no. I mean, if, if a child's grandfather had a stroke when they were 50, that basically carries almost no weight. If a child's sibling had sickle cell disease and they have it too, obviously that does, you know, but... And there's this, maybe some slight trend, you know, based on coagulation anomalies, things like that. But but it's not that major a factor. We're, we're often asked, say, when a child has a stroke, the family will ask very directly, what does this mean for my other children? And we usually are pretty reassuring because unless there's some known risk factor that is is shared that really increases the odds, the odds of that second child within that family having a stroke is, is pretty low, really.
0: Now, earlier, you mentioned that some stroke may be going unrecognized. How do children present with stroke? Is it pretty obvious, or, or can it be tricky?
1: It can be tricky. It's always amazed me, though. I've studied stroke for 20 years, and if you take a in, in the same family someone's elderly grandparent, and if they suddenly lose the ability to use the right side and become unable to speak, everybody in the room says, quick, let's get grandma to the doctor because it looks like a stroke. You let the same exact phenomena happen in a 10 year old in that same family and there's much less urgency. It's like, well, gee, what's going on? And, and they might go to the doctor later, but not necessarily as, as quickly. So clearly there's a delay in seeking medical attention and that's been demonstrated, you know, formally and, and published in among children versus adults. To some extent there's still some unwillingness to consider this diagnosis among physicians and although I think that's actually changed a great deal, improved a great deal in the last eight or ten years. But children like adults present mostly with focal neurologic deficits. Sometimes the children, the older ones, as well as the younger ones will present with epileptic seizures after a stroke. But for the most part, they'll have some change in function, some loss in function, the most common of which is weakness on one side of the body. Other things would include double vision, clumsiness, alteration in consciousness. You know, The list of things that could represent a stroke are pretty long because it really reflects where is the stroke going to be and what is the function of that part of the brain that gets knocked out. So, but the most common is, is hemiparesis.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Shu. Our guest is Dr. E. Steve Roach, Professor of Pediatrics and Neurology at the Ohio State University College of Medicine and Chief of Neurology at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. We're discussing childhood stroke. Now, you mentioned some of the common risk factors being sickle cell disease or congenital heart disease. If these are medically managed, is it possible to prevent stroke in these children?
1: Absolutely. And it depends on the degree to which you can manage the complication. The best information is actually available for the children with sickle cell disease. And the overall risk there untreated is probably about 25% over the course of a lifetime However, a child who has had stroke number one because of sickle cell disease has arguably a 50 to 65% chance of having additional strokes. And for many years, we've used blood transfusions to lower the percentage of sickle hemoglobin, and that, that really reduces the the stroke risk. It doesn't eliminate it absolutely, but it probably cuts the second stroke risk from 50 to 65% down to 5% or less. And that's actually been very thoroughly studied in a control clinical trial that was published about 10 years ago. And actually, if you can identify the children who are at high risk for a stroke even before the stroke, then beginning transfusions for those kids will actually prevent the first stroke.
0: Is there anything you might expect to see on physical exam that might predict a stroke risk?
1: Basically, on physical exam, you would be looking for evidence of stroke risk factor. If you have, for example, evidence of congenital heart disease, you could predict that that child is at least going to be at increased risk for stroke. I'm sure there are probably some others if I thought about it.
0: Now, the American Heart Association statement mentions Moyamoya disease, which we all learn about in medical school, but can a physician in the U.S. really expect to see that, or is it pretty rare?
1: A physician who's in practice will see it, whether they recognize it or not is another question, but it's not so rare that it's not going to occur. It's much, much more common in individuals of Asian heritage. There's an increased risk in children who have Down syndrome. There's an increased risk in children who have neurofibromatosis. Having received cranial therapeutic radiation sometimes will trigger this. So. You do see it in this country, and it's probably not as unusual as we once thought.
0: So if you see a patient with Down syndrome, for example, should we be doing some type of diagnostic exam to see if they might have Moya-Moya disease?
1: We don't currently, and the reason we don't is because even though it's generally agreed that the frequency of Moya-Moya syndrome is is greater in children with Down syndrome, it's, it's still not extraordinarily high. And... You know it may be as high as three or four percent even, but that's still a pretty low number as a percentage of all children with Downs. and then you also have to factor in that even doing an MRI and an MRA in a cognitively impaired child is is going to be a little bit of a big deal sometimes. So typically what we do is we we start investigating after there's been some evidence of a neurologic deficit.
0: So in any child who is suspected of having stroke, what would be the first diagnostic step to confirm that?
1: Usually for practical purposes, it's a CT scan. And the reason for that is most of these kids, even though they don't do it quite as promptly as I would like, will eventually show up in an emergency room. And in my experience, the emergency room staff are going to do a CT scan in a child with a new neurologic deficit. And they often do that even before they call a neurologist. So most of these kids are going to get a CT scan first. An MRI scan is most of the time more helpful, although it's often not available in the middle of the night and it takes a bit longer, so the sedation is a little more of an issue. So usually you'll get a CT and an MRI in most of these kids. Then depending on the degree to which you are concerned about individual blood vessels, then those kids are going to go on and get like an MRA or a CT angiogram or even an old-fashioned catheter angiogram.
0: And what would be the acute management recommended for children with stroke?
1: Depends on the type of stroke and it depends on the underlying cause, which in turn is going to drive your concern about additional strokes. The stroke itself, realistically, there's not a whole lot you can do about that. I mean, supportive management, oxygen, make sure they don't get massive cerebral edema and herniate, but what your therapy is directed toward most of the time is eliminating the the risk of an additional stroke. And that is almost certainly going to hinge on, on what you think caused the first stroke. So, for example, a child who comes in and either is known already or subsequently determined to have congenital heart disease, a good number of those kids will get anticoagulated. In contrast, someone who comes in who had a hemorrhagic stroke, you know, none of them are going to get an So it kind of depends.
0: I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. E. Steve Roach. We've been discussing childhood stroke. I'm Dr. Jennifer Shu. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157 and thank you for listening.